welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Today is uh, the December 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor Day, uh, 2023. Um, for those of you who uh, are maybe tuning in for the first time, um, this is going to be a landmarks of Aquafarm episode. Do these occasionally where somewhat arbitrarily or just based off of whatever I'm interested in at the time, I go back and, uh, and review uh, an older but landmark um, uh, paper of a, of a clinical trial that, that has influenced practice to this day. So we are doing that today with VISTA which is actually an outdated regimen, uh, and it became outdated fairly quickly. Uh, but there's a lot of good, uh, I think, learning points uh, to go over. So this is bortezomib plus melphalan and prednisone for initial treatment of multi-myeloma in EJM, August 28, 2008. Um, and I, I think it's useful to, to go back and look at these studies. 2008 wasn't, wasn't all that long ago, um, and, and things have, have changed uh, drastically in multi-myeloma. And uh, I, I think it's important to go back and look at this because uh, in oncology, we're always new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And it, it can help to maybe not predict the future, but maybe have an educated guess about where, uh, how treatments may evolve going forward based on how they have evolved uh, from the past. So if we, going back to 2008, when this uh, paper was published, the top movies in America this month, number one, The Dark Knight, still holds up. Number two, Tropic, uh, number three, Tropic Thunder. Number five, Mamma Mia. Number six, Step Brothers, which now is probably the most popular of those movies, at least uh, in my household. Um, the top songs of this week, uh, so Billboard's charting for August 30th uh, of this week. Number one, Disturbia by Rihanna. Number two, Crush by David Archuleta, a song I had no concept ever existed. Uh, so I guess it's the number two crush by a guy named David. Um, number three, Forever by Chris Brown which we'll come back to. Uh, number four, I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry. Uh, number six, uh, Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Number six, Paper Plane by M.I.A. with a great sample of, uh, of a classic The Clash song. Now, this song Forever by Chris Brown uh, was never a Chris Brown fan. No, no offense, I guess. Um, but this song you know because it was in one of the episodes of The Office, the, spoiler, Jim and Pam wedding episode. It And that was basically completely copied from a real-life viral video. It, was, it maybe wasn't the first viral video, but it was an actual, like, handmade video. You can go find it on YouTube, and the camera's shaking around of basically a wedding party entrance at a wedding in, like, 2008 or something, and this song by Chris Brown is playing in the background. And I remember seeing it on YouTube. Maybe that was the first time that I learned what, what YouTube was. Um, but think how like ubiquitous the term viral is in a non-microbiologic way um, in our society today. It was just a new thing in 2008. And so was bortezomib was a new thing. So we had, uh, you know, the phase two study um, that was published in NJM in 2003 of monotherapy with bortezomib. And if they didn't have a great response, then they added DEX. Um, there was no, that was, you know, when we, we learned, of course, from phase one studies and from that, that peripheral neuropathy was the dose-limiting toxicity. There was no mention of herpes zoster reactivation in that trial. There was 12% dizziness reported, single-arm study. Uh, a couple years later, uh, in 2005, we have the APEX trial, which was bortezomib versus high-dose dex. Uh, 
and there's uh, if you ever are doing like a, a baseline presentation on bortezomib and you want to talk about thrombocytopenia, uh, go to this go to this paper. There's a great figure of the uh, the depth and reversibility quickly of thrombocytopenia with bortezomib. That's when we knew this thrombocytopenia was different. It wasn't direct myelosuppression. We didn't know how it was different until until really in the last couple of years we've learned that bortezomib affects that final stage in megakaryocyte differentiation from proplatelet to platelet, which is why the, the thrombocytopenia is, is somewhat muted and, and, and very transient. No mention that paper in Apex either of herpes zoster reactivation. <coughs> so in going through and looking at, uh, so what I do uh, is I'll, I'll go to PubMed and search bortezomib, limit to clinical trials, and I'll go to the very, the very first one and I'll go back you know, kind of start at the back and work my way into the future, or work my way to the present, I should say. Bortezomib was studied in, like, everything. Small cell lung cancer, sarcoma, renal cell carcinoma, neuroendocrine tumors, studied in all kinds of disease states, and of course we now, now we pretty much just use it uh, in, in multiple myeloma today. So that brings us to this paper, uh, 2008. This is the VISTA study. So they have the apex, the VISTA, maybe there's a summit, an ACME, a zenith trial that I don't know about. Um, you know, they, they, they do this, these companies like uh, like the DARE, uh, not the DARE team, the uh, Dervimab folks have done with Pacific and Danube uh, and such. Okay, so <coughs> this is really interesting background here, right? So melphalan plus prednisone has been the standard of care for newly diagnosed myeloma patients for more than 40 years. And you probably, if you're a new clinician, you probably never see anybody get MP or VMP, okay? So melphalan, prednisone, melphalan, of course, still used as a backbone uh, and our, our condition agent for the auto transplants or high-dose chemotherapy with stem cell rescue for multiple myeloma patients. They say that is uh, not an option for those under the age of 65, and since the mean age of diagnosis is 70, most people are not candidates for that. The, the ability to transplant older patients uh, has increased in recent years. So many of the people on this study who at the time were, were defined as transplant ineligible would often be transplanted in today's world, and that's an important context. Um, so these were folks, they e either were not eligible for transplant because they were 65 years or older, or had coexisting conditions. They were enrolled from December 04 to September 06. So less than two years, they're enrolling more than 700 patients on, or about 700 patients on the study. Impressive. Of course, multi-myeloma, pretty darn common. You know, if you go into a community practice, uh, any oncology community practice, you're gonna see a lot of multi-myeloma patients. Primary endpoint was disease uh, progression, unfortunately, and not overall survival. And they had, you know, the the O'Brien-Fleming spending method that we're used to to do multiple interim analysis. And the third uh, analysis is when it was recommended to stop the study because of benefit, uh, and that's what is reported here. So we have 340-ish patients uh, in each group. So I, I guess, um, you know just under 700 patients. Median age of uh, these patients was 71, consistent with the median age of diagnosis in myeloma. 30% um, are over the age or 75 years or, or older. Most of these patients were white. Most of these patients were European, 88% uh, and 79% respectively. Most of these patients had IgG myeloma, 63%, uh, which is what you would expect. So it seems to be a fairly representative uh, sample of, of types of myeloma patients with the exception of, uh, of, uh, of race. Um, so we see a fairly obvious improvement in time to progression 
uh, with a median time to progression of 24 months with bortezomib, 16.6 months with melphalan and prednisone. Uh, now, I should point out the melphalan prednisone regimen in case you're not familiar with it. A pretty darn active regimen, but a unique regimen in that it's a, a six-week regimen. We're so used to chemotherapy regimens being every three weeks. But melphalan is an older alkylating agent, and as older alkylating agents tended to be, they're older in that we don't use them because their duration of, of um, cytopenias in their nadir was longer. So this have a nadir of, nadir of about four weeks is when you would expect the counts to bottom out, which is why it was given as a six-week regimen. Now, melphalan was given as nine milligrams per meter squared on days one to four, prednisone 60 milligrams per meter squared days one to four of a six-week regimen. And then the, the bortezomib arm uh, was 1.3 milligrams per meter squared IV bortezomib days one, four, eight, 11, 22, 25, 29, 32 of a six-week cycle for the first four cycles. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's basically Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday of the first two weeks, third week off, then Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday of weeks four and five with week six off. And then after four cycles, it went to bortezomib Monday, Monday, week off, Monday, Monday, week off for the uh, cycles five to nine. Um, we, um, they do not do a, a formal comparison of overall survival because disease progression was the primary endpoint, um, but we do see that uh, only 13% of patients had died in the bortezomib group, in the VMP group, at, at a median help of 16.3 months compared to 22% in the MP group. That's a delta of 9%. It's early, but um, you know, if you, if you did a hazard ratio on that, it was, it was 0 0.61. Uh, P-value was 0.008, but not formally tested, but seems pretty obvious there's, there's overall survival benefit from bortezomib. And of course, that moved forward in the first line. And nowadays, because melphalan is so myelotoxic, um, these patients do not mobilize stem cells well after they receive melphalan if they were to go on to an autotransplant, which is why they only offered, uh, they only enrolled patients who were transplant eligible. So nowadays, because uh, transplant centers are very liberal with who they consider for an autotransplant for myeloma, almost everybody could be considered, uh, you know, potentially transplantable. And so we're not using these melphalane best regimens anymore. We're using lenalidomide uh, and, and bortezomib and dexmedazone or, or VRD Velcade Revlimidex as kind of the backbone regimen, maybe plus or minus a, a day or two map if you're into the quads uh, for, for, uh, for younger patients. All right. So we add bortezomib to what had been the standard of care, melphalane prednisone, Velcade, melphalan, prednisone, VMP, and it then becomes the standard of care, uh, you know, overnight. Um, from a toxicity standpoint, um, you know, we, we kind of know what to expect from the toxicity standpoint nowadays with bortezomib. And it was not surprising to see thrombocytopenia, although the actual rates of thrombocytopenia were very similar between the bortezomib group and the, the melphalan, prednisone. There was, you know, grade three thrombocytopenia was 20% with VMP compared to 16% with MP, so not a ton of exaggeration of the thrombocytopenia. We did see a little bit, actually, you know, numerically, a greater increase in grade three lymphopenia, 9% with MP versus 14% with lymphopenia. Of course, peripheral neuropathy happened in 44% versus just 5%. Constipation in 37% versus 16%, probably a manifestation of autonomic neuropathy. Um, the dizziness I talked about in the first study, uh, we used to see orthostatic hypotension all the time in the day when we gave IV bortezomib, and it wasn't very well described, but another physician and I, that he and I, we were convinced this was autonomic neuropathy uh, in these patients with, with IV bortezomib. Now, subsequently, 
we have a, a, an excellent pharmacokinetic study of IV versus subcutaneous bortezomib showing you get the same area under the curve, the same drug exposure with subcutaneous bortezomib, but a much lower peak concentration, uh, as they say in the South, uh, with, uh, with aminoglycoside concentrations, and it only works in the Southern accent. Peaks heal, or peaks keel, and uh, no, peaks keel and troughs heal. See, kill has to be keel. Peaks heal and troughs heal. So a lot of these toxicities are peak dependent. So by giving bortezomib subcutaneously, you really blunt the, the peak concentration or the maximum serum concentration, and that led to much lower rates of peripheral neuropathy. So we don't see as much peripheral neuropathy as, and as dose limiting today giving uh, bortezomib subcutaneously. Uh, but what was, so that was expected, right? The thrombocytopenia not being that bad was expected. The peripheral neuropathy, that was expected. What was not expected is that herpes zoster occurred in 13% in the bortezomib group versus just 4% in the melphalan prednisone group. That had not been seen before in other studies. Now again, this is with an alkylating agent backbone and an alkylating agent that has a very long nadir. Um, now since this study has been published, it has uh, become standard of care, commonplace to put everyone on on, uh, on herpes virus prophylaxis or suppression with the acyclovir or valacyclovir. Um, that's based on this study. That's where, that's where this came from, um, uh, from this. Uh, the rates are, are probably lower with a, a VRD regimen of herpes virus reactivation, but it's, it's a pretty non-toxic drug, acyclovir, valacyclovir, and continues to be standard of care and with good reason. But that's the VISTA study, VMP. Um, we're going to talk um, a little bit more about some, some myeloma drugs uh, going forward. Uh, probably do a landmarks, uh, or not a landmarks, but a foundations episode coming up where we're talking about one of the foundational agents that we use in oncology. Um, and uh, at the end of the year, at some point, we'll have our, our keep, um, re-gift, uh, or return for the new drugs approved this year. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at PharmDeetNip. You can follow the podcast on uh, X, Threads, and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.